I know I am not alone in being struck by the phrase with which the message begins. Seven lifetimes ago are the words, but we know that the Martian's life is 300 years, so seven lifetimes is about 2,100 years, or as near as one could ask to the era in which the carpenter of Nazareth went forth to preach his message. Is it only coincidence that the message he broadcast 2,000 years ago should again be broadcast from the supreme being on Mars? If so, then how explain that this authority should know what we on Earth were told 20 centuries ago? Or is it possible that the man of Nazareth and the man of Mars are the same? I'm Captain Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the future of war. Resistance is futile. Jedi's strength flows from the Force, but beware of the dark side. Oh. 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 Man, that's kind of catchy. It's got a nice ring to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate. It's, it's a gold titanium alloy. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. This is uh, Reach Cold. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest, and you are listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is episode 680 for Sunday, April 29th, 2018. I'm back this week with another classic science fiction movie. Today's movie is Red Planet Mars, starring Peter Graves and Andrea King. Before I get into this week's podcast... I want to thank Rico for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoy it. With that said, I'm going to play the trailer to Red Planet Earth. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. I'll be back after the trailer with some movie information, and then we'll get into today's movie. There it is, the Red Planet Mars. For over 2,000 years, the symbol for war. Here is a new experience in excitement, a new sensation in suspense, as men open the door on the unknown powers of space to learn the incredible secrets of the red planet Mars. Secrets that might destroy us in one moment. You'll be the next to advance science. And maybe us. Right into oblivion! Chris, look! Nine! Two, six, Linda, we've done it. Dear Lord, don't make us sorry. Yeah, why don't you go to mine? Business keeps up, you'll need the army to help you. Quick, get going! Atomic energy, the hydrogen bomb, flying saucers, and now 
Secrets beyond belief from the red planet Mars. Secrets that threaten the world with total destruction as countless millions in every corner of the globe invoke the greatest power of all to save their lives. You do think me a fool. Stay where you are. Give me a light. Don't! Don't! Red Planet Mars is a 1952 American science fiction movie. It was directed by Harry Horner and produced by David Hyde and Anthony Viler. Red Planet Mars was based on the 1932 play Red Planet by John L. Bolgerston and John Hoare. Red Planet Mars was released on May 15, 1952 and has a running time of 87 minutes. And here's the cast, starting at the top. Peter Graves as Chris Cronin, Andrea King as Linda Cronin, Herbert Berghoff as Franz Calder, Walter Sand as Admiral Bill Carey, Willis Boucher as the President of the United States, and last but not least, Morris Ankrum as Secretary of Defense Sparks. That's it for movie information, so let's get into today's movie. The main characters of today's movie are Chris Cronin and his wife, Linda. Chris is a research scientist who's trying to contact Mars using a hydrogen-powered radio transmitter created from confiscated plans from Franz Calder, a Nazi scientist and war criminal. Today's movie starts at an observatory. Chris and Linda have been invited there by a fellow scientist to see some photos of Mars. You can't see it with the naked eye, but the micrometer shows it clearly. There's no question of the change in altitude. Hello, Chris. Linda. Sorry to have kept you waiting. Uh, they certainly tuck you in up here. They wouldn't even let us into the viewing room. They've classified the sky top secret now. <laughs> uh, Lewis. I asked Felder to develop these as quickly as possible. Yes, sir. Oh, uh, Bolting, this is Chris Cronin, Mrs. Cronin, my assistant, Dr. Bolting. Hello, how do you do? How do you do? It's nice meeting you. Well? I hope you don't mind my tagging along. Oh, not in the least. We're very happy to have you. May I take your coat? You know, I expected you to be older. You are the radio man. Mm, if you think of yourself as the guy with the spyglass. <laughs> <laughs> I really walked right into that. I didn't mean it quite as it sounded. But do you seriously believe that you've established contact with Mars? Well, you take pictures of it. Why shouldn't I talk to it? Bolte! Yes. There's no question they have diminished in size. There's no knowing what tonight's pictures may show. We may learn more about Mars in the next few minutes. So that's the baby in person. So clear, it's unbelievable. This is the first picture. We took it a week ago tonight. See, here are the indentations I told you about. They couldn't be plainer. And all going from north to south. What are they? Canals, what else? Traversing the entire planet. And these big shadows, here and here. Now you know how New York or Chicago would look if photographed from Mars. And look at those mountains at the pole. They must be as high as the Rockies. How do you tell they're mountains? There have to be. What else would throw such deep shadows? 
Dr. Mitchell, what puzzles me is that you've had the giant telescope for years. Why are you just getting these pictures now? Mars's journey around the sun is an elliptical curve. Uh, let me show you. Now at perihelion, about 35 million miles from Earth, instead of the usual 63. Now what's this one? Same angle, same exposure five nights ago. See any difference? Should I? Well, what have you got? I don't know. I can't believe it. Well. The mountains are gone. And the poles are level. You can't wipe out mountains taller than the Rockies in the space of a week. Bolting. Uh, look at the canals. They're different. Now they reflect light like mirrors. Water reflects light. Well, so does any other. Are you saying you think those pole formations are ice? And that in, in, a, in a week, these Martians have, have melted ice caps thousands of feet high and used the water to irrigate the planet? Isn't that what the picture says? But that's impossible. There's no way to. Oh, there has to be. Why, they've done it. We could just once ask them how. I thought you'd already established contact. Oh, it's Mars I'm getting my signal from right enough, but how do I give that signal meaning? How do I find a, a means of communication? Come on, Lynn, let's get going. There's still time to send a signal. You're going to broadcast tonight? After seeing these? <laughs> what do you think? One man who takes pictures, another who believes he can talk over 35 million miles. It's like having a grandstand seat for the creation of the world. Or it's death. After seeing the photos of Mars, Chris can't wait to get back to his lab and transmit another signal to Mars. Linda is concerned about contacting Mars and asks Chris not to transmit another message. Chris, hmm. don't send a message tonight. What's got into you, Linda? Ever since you saw those pictures, you've fear, been... Fear, Chris. Always eating fear. The whole world's scared. Why shouldn't I be? Every woman in the world, we all live in fear. It's, it's become our natural state fear our sons will have to fight another war or fear they'll face worse we've lived on the edge of a volcano all our lives one day it has to boil over me talking to Mars won't affect Vesuvius Lynn can you be so sure? Don't you understand? Science has made the volcano we're sitting on. Nobel invented dynamite to ease man's life. It's eased a good many into annihilation. Einstein split the atom to create energy. Is terror energy? Well, that's rubbish, Lynn. 
Scientifically, we've advanced further in the past 60 years than we have in the previous 2,000. Radio, television, automobile, airplane, atomic fission, jet propulsion. And, and now, well, you, you saw those pictures tonight, heard what Mitchell said. If we can once talk to Mars, we may be talking to brains as far ahead of ours as, as ours are ahead of monkeys. In one moment, we may be able to leap ahead another 2,000 years. next to advance science and maybe us right into oblivion linda i'm sorry chris but when i saw those pictures tonight it it all seemed too imminent well sure it's imminent it's what we worked for isn't it why we built this lab assembled the transmitter it's why we've worked together all these years they've been good years chris well they've been great years what do you want me to do now? Get a, a crummy research job in some plant? Maybe in 20 years, get a paper published in some scientific magazine? Now, when we're on the verge of accomplishing everything we've worked for? All right, Chris. I'm ready. Meanwhile, high in the Andes, escaped Nazi scientist Franz Calder is trying to contact Mars with his hydrogen-powered radio transmitter. He is interrupted by Argerian, the Russian official who aided him in his escape and now supports his research. What do you want? How did you get here? How did you track me down? Stop acting like a fool! Get out of here! I told you not to follow me. You were supposed to keep in touch with me by shortwave. The seal isn't even broken. I had nothing to report. What are you doing here? Answer me! You said you would establish contact with Mars. That was your commitment. Try. We are not paying you to try, Mr. Calder. We expect results. And you might have had results if you had done as I asked. Conduct your experiments at our laboratories at Berezovo, where we could have supplied you with skilled assistance. Instead of which, you buried yourself here in the Andes, alone. No one to assist you. You mean, uh, no one to watch over me. Thank you. I've had one taste of jail. I don't know why you complain. We extricated you, we helped you. We want scientists of your caliber, Mr. Calder. We treat them well when they serve us. Serve? Are you talking to me? I don't owe you anything. You owe us your freedom. It was the Americans who threw you into jail and our men who helped you to escape. Not to mention all this equipment which you have piled up. This was an investment. Now we demand an accounting. I'm not a bookkeeper. We don't make investments with no returns. You know our policy. Are you trying to frighten me? We had an agreement. 
It is my responsibility to see that it is carried out. You're threatening me with extermination, eh? Is that the policy you refer to? You find the idea amusing? Highly. You won't harm me. You need me. Think they have humbled me, huh? Bringing me, Franz Calder, to this. Cringing, hiding. Just another rat in his hole. But all this won't last. The rat will come out. And then the world will listen. You want a report? I'll give you one. You can tell your masters that I've failed in my experiments. I've not been able to establish contact with Mars. Their money's been wasted. It is not a report they will appreciate. Still, they won't exterminate me. Of that I wouldn't be too sure. Because you can also tell them that the Americans who stole my valve have succeeded. They have established contact with the Red Planet. Wait outside. Are you serious? Newspapers will tell you as much in a few days. It's not in the American character to keep silent about success. But that's incredible that they should actually... Why? You expected it from me. But you said that your equipment was the best in the world. That no one could duplicate your developments. I forgot the seven years start the American had on me. Seven years while I was in jail. Seven years. Uh, don't let's start that again. What shall I report? What can you report? That the Americans also want the secrets of a wiser civilization? So that they can turn them into new methods of destruction? How do you know all this? Because I'm the one other person with a hydrogen valve. I alone can pick up their signals and the replies. Then you can give us the questions they put to Mars and the answers they receive. Yes, exactly. And that's why I can laugh at your threats. Do you still want to kill me? Oh, don't talk like that. Nobody is threatening you. You're invaluable to us. It's not who gets the information first, but who first puts it to use. Oh, my dear friend. You must let me send you a less monotonous diet. My diet's already taken care of. I did not spend all your money on equipment. Is there anything else you need? Yes, one thing. Let's drink to it. Well, by all means, my dear fellow. <laughs> What is it? Your absence. Chris can't figure out a way to communicate with Mars, so he calls Admiral Bill Carey, the man who broke the Japanese code in World War II, to help him out. Chris's son, Stuart, suggests broadcasting the beginning of the mathematical formula for pi to see if the Martians will finish it. Is Mr. Cronin in? I'm Cronin. I'm Bill Carey. 
This is no time to barge in on you like this, but your reports didn't reach my desk until this morning, and I flew right out. My reports brought you out. Oh, we grasp at any straw to get out of Washington for 24 hours. Please come in, Admiral. Thank you. I'm Linda Cronin. How do you do, Miss Cronin? Uh, forgive the mess, but all major mechanical projects seem to get started in the living room. This is our son, Stuart. Hiya, fella. Sit down, Admiral. Get some more ice, will you, son? Stuart, you will have a drink, won't you? Well, at this hour, I can't claim the sun's not over the yard arm. Are you the Admiral Carey who broke the Japanese code? My one claim to fame. But confidentially, it wasn't a very good code. <laughs> Come on, Stu. Well, you don't know how glad I am to see you. We didn't know if you'd even bother with our show here. Rose to it like a marlin. But what beats me, if you are getting messages from Mars, how have you kept it out of the paper? Well, we're not getting any messages. Not yet. Darn close to it if your reports stand up. Oh, if we ever do get messages, understandable ones, that is, they'll be given out. Four years of Navy gave me my belly full of hush-hush. <laughs> I can understand that. So far, all we're getting are repetitions of our own signals coming back at us. And now these answers you get... Please sit down. These answers you get, couldn't they be your own signals bouncing off some object in outer space? Some other planet? Booming back at you? I'm no authority on electronics, but I am. No, this is no bounce back. As I told you, we transform sound into light. And the speed of light is 186,000 miles a second. So you divide the distance to Mars by the speed of light, and you get the length of time it takes our light waves to reach Mars. Double that, and you get the time it takes our messages to come back. Now, that could all be mechanical, but they don't come back in that exact number of minutes. It never takes less time, always more. 20 seconds, 40 seconds, sometimes as much as a minute and a half. Sometimes, like tonight, for instance, we get no answer. An echo will always sound, but sometimes the human brain sleeps. But why always the same signal back? Why never anything you can hang on to? Well, because I'm too stupid to give them a lead. That's why I yelled for help. Well, this is no picnic you've asked me on. You don't even know what language they speak, if any. It's like working out a system of communication with gollywogs. How the devil to find a point of contact? How about pie? That's hardly the way to offer it, Stu. And by the size of that slice, I doubt if there's anything left. I mean pie. Now, what are you talking about? Well, if we're getting answers, they have to have a transmitter as powerful as ours. Go on, what are you driving at? Well, they can't build anything like that unless they know how to make a wheel. That means a circle. And you can't make a circle without knowing the ratio of the diameter to the circumference. Pi. I still don't understand what that has to do with... The... Your son's ahead of you, Cronin. What is pi? 3.1416, as I remember. Roughly. That's it, roughly. Actually, it's 3.1415926 and so on, an infinite number of decimals. Well, so what? We broadcast 3.1416 to Mars, and what can they answer? Nothing. But they must be trying as hard to talk to you as you're straining to talk to them. All they're looking for is an opening. So, you don't broadcast 3.1416. You broadcast 3.1415. And if they understand, they continue the equation. Right. Where'd you get that idea, son? Biting into this. <laughs> Come on, let's get over to the lab and try it on right now. Aren't you coming? Oh, don't mind me. I'm just the babysitter around here. <laughs> if this comes off, I'll wake you when we come in. What makes you think I'll be asleep? While waiting for a response from Mars, 
Chris tells Admiral Carey about the inventor of the hydrogen valve, Franz Calder. There it is. The red planet Mars. For over 2,000 years, the symbol for war. And we dare to fly in the face of Providence and try to bring it closer to us. Sometimes my wife is less than enthusiastic about this project. I'm sorry. Darling, if nothing happens tonight, don't be too disappointed. It's got to happen. It's just got to happen. We've waited so blasted long. I know, but if it doesn't... Poor Linda with all her silly fears. You hope it doesn't happen, really? You know what beats me? I just can't believe that you people really assembled all this yourself. Oh, we got a, we got a slight assist from the Carnegie Foundation. You realize if this comes off by this time tomorrow, you'll be the most famous man in the world? Funny, none of the credit's mine. Actually, it all belongs to a German scientist, a criminal, a brilliant criminal, with nothing but hate in his heart. What do you mean? Did you ever hear of Franz Calder? 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 Do you remember the famous quotation, the human being is the best guinea pig? High voltage experiments on the human nervous system, the Nazi criminal. He invented the valve. I found the blueprints at Nuremberg. It's taken us all the years since then to, to build a transmitter capable of spanning the enormous distance. And we've been broadcasting for eight months, first without success, and now... The last for, three weeks. Uh, we've been getting answers. Well, you're not going to give Calder any of the credit. Why not? It's his valve. The devil's entitled to his due. They finally establish communications with Mars and begin to exchange mathematical and chemical formulas. The news of contact with Mars spreads all over the world. Chris has become a superstar overnight. The first Martian message states an average Martian lives to be 300 years old. The second message states that Martians can farm enough food to feed a thousand people for a year from one acre of land. The third message states that their civilization hasn't used fossil fuels in 3,000 years and they get all their power from cosmic energy. These three messages caused the collapse of the Western economies. Meanwhile, this morning, every American bank had long lines of depositors waiting to withdraw their funds. Owing to the difference in time, the latest bulletin from Mars had created its effect on Europe before we Americans had finished our breakfasts. In London, the Prime Minister called a special meeting of the Cabinet at number 10 Downing Street. But this did not prevent pandemonium on the London Stock Exchange. The value of British industrials has decreased nearly 10 billion pounds in the last two weeks. In Paris, the third government in two weeks failed of a vote of confidence. And President Romain, hopeless of forming a fourth government, suspended the Constitution and called upon the army to establish martial law. This, however, did not prevent wide disorders in Lyon, Marseille and other French cities. Meanwhile, in Rome, the Holy Father urged a policy of patience and of faith. Turn that blasted thing off. Just on another minute, Dad. But in Milan and Genoa, there was widespread rioting. Turn it off, I said. They gotta hand it to you, Pop. When you blow the lid off, you really blow it off. Well, that crowd out there is mad I enough. I thought I told you to stay out of the street. I just wanted to take a look. Haven't you anything better to do than lollygag around where you haven't any business? 
It's enough work for you to do around here. Gosh, I did the whole lawn this afternoon. Yeah, and left the moor where everybody could stumble over it as usual. Back in Washington, Secretary of Defense Sparks informs Admiral Carey that the lab in California must be shut down and moved to Washington, D.C. You'll recall, Mr. Secretary, that the Joint Chiefs advised immediate control when the first message was received. Yes, I recall quite well, General. I also recall that the President overruled us. Yes? Admiral Carey, sir. Have him come in. Mr. Secretary, General Burdett. Hello, Bill. Sit down, Carey, sit down. Have you decoded any other messages? No, sir. We've been sweating over a batch for nearly a week now, but no success. Thank heaven for that. We're closing down that decoding room out in California. But messages are still coming in, sir. Well, they'll be microwaved here as fast as they come in. And they're not getting outside this building. Your whole staff's coming back today. Nothing is to be released to the public. Nothing, you understand, gentlemen? Nothing. Is there anything else, sir? Our economic system is shambles. Industrial production shot to blazes. Our entire civilization collapsing about our heads like a house of cards. And the whole Western world going down with us. This Cronin has done more to smash the democratic world in the last four weeks than the Russians have been able to do in 11 years. I can hear the laughter in Moscow now. No, Admiral, no. There is nothing more. With the collapse of the Western economies, the Russians make their plans to take over the world. Go ahead, Calder. This is Argenian. Are you all right? Uh, don't worry about me. How about you? How are you, Argenian? Ah, huh? <laughs> oh, that's foolish of you to go where those monsters can lay hands on you. Shut up, you fool. Premier Sprashevite, yes, to Drugianovici. Are there any more messages? Mars seems to have run out of messages for the moment. Chairman, interested Americanti? What are the Americans asking, Calder? If you can tell us that. As nearly as I can understand, they want to know how the Martians, if they use cosmic power for everything, are kept from blowing each other to bits. Send us the messages as soon as you get them. There must be no slip-ups. Is that understood? Haven't you got your money's worth yet? Is this dog called a reliable? In English. If I want them to understand me, I'd speak Russian. Why didn't you insist on him coming here to work? I couldn't insist. He would have destroyed his valve. He's a madman, a lunatic. The world is full of lunatics. They want to start a war now. Now and there is no need. Stalin did not dare precipitate one because he could not defeat the free economy of the West. Now the economy is shattered. The strength of the Western world fades like a dream in the night. Their civilization perishes. Lenin dreamt of the world in his hands. Stalin tried to get it in his. Our premier will succeed. We will build our new world on the ruins of the West. 
Secretary of Defense, Sparks, urges the President of the United States to start a preemptive war with the Russians. We can't risk the Russians decoding those messages. I certainly don't want war. But Moscow, Leningrad, every nerve center in the Soviet Union must be wiped out. I cannot fly in the face of 180 years of American history. I cannot start a war. A month from now, we may not have the strength to fight one. The Russians may have in their hands the power to... This country will not launch a war. Mr. President. You still know my first name, George. We've served a great many years together. And there's never been a day when I couldn't happily go along with any decision of yours. But I have a responsibility to this country, too. And I can't stand by and see it destroyed. Our difference is that I don't believe it can be destroyed by 13 slips of paper covered with obscure symbols. The Japanese Empire was destroyed by a slip of paper covered with obscure symbols. Once those symbols were translated into power. The president is about to order Chris and Linda to disable their transmitter when Admiral Carey comes in with the most recent message from Mars. Come in, Admiral, come in. You'll forgive me, Mr. President, but the secretary left orders that uh, no matter where he Have you got another message? Yes, we've got one. Oh, may I, sir? I think he's entitled to that. Well, this is nonsense. It's it's impossible. What is it, Cronin? You remember, sir, we asked them how with their free use of cosmic energy they were prevented from blowing each other off the face of the map. If they have an answer to that, I'll welcome it. Well, according to this, they submitted the question to their supreme leader. You say spiritual, Bill. I'm not sure it shouldn't be something even stronger. Godlike was Dr. Stokes' translation. What is the message, Chris? You have been given knowledge and have used it for destruction. Seven lifetimes ago, you were told to love goodness and hate evil. Why have you denied the truth? The Sermon on the Mount. On Mars. Well, don't talk nonsense, Linda. Love goodness and hate evil? What else would you call it? Why, well, I, I don't understand it. I don't either, Chris. But I'm glad we installed the oscillograph, because once the messages are recorded on film, no one can accuse us of garbling them. Well, Mr. President, I said I'd never voluntarily suppress a message. But I was wrong. This one can't go out. Why not? Well, it doesn't make sense. It's not scientific. Well, maybe it's the one scientific truth we've forgotten. You mean you take this message seriously? We took the other seriously, didn't we? If we were right to release one message, we must release this too. Mr. President, you know the panic those other messages have caused. Loose a wave of religious hysteria on top of it and every crackpot and his brother will be lecturing on street corners. Mr. President, you're worried about national security. Is there one word in that message that threatens our security? Or anyone else's? And solution, there was none. Saving the rule of Christ alone. My father was very fond of Emerson. May I see that message, please? You're not going to release it. 
your arguments in defense of scientific freedom have convinced me. Well, this time Cronin is right, Mr. President. We can't hitch our wagon to that star. We've switched stars, Mr. Secretary. Now we're following the star of Bethlehem. That message is to be broadcast all over the world, in all languages. Over the next couple of days, religious messages from Mars are broadcast throughout the world. The people of Russia, listening on contraband radios, hear the messages from Mars and overthrow their communist government. Meanwhile, high in the Andes, Calder's hut containing his hydrogen-powered radio transmitter is destroyed by an avalanche. Days later, Chris hears the, the new head of the Russian church has declared an era of world peace. Back at Chris's lab, Chris and Linda are about to transmit a message when they are interrupted by Franz Calder. He reveals to them that he wrote all the messages from Mars himself and plans to announce that it was a hoax to the press. Lynn? Yes? Suppose it's over. Communications, I mean. Suppose, suppose we never make it again. There's nothing wrong with the transmitter. Atmospheric conditions won't explain it either. No matter how bad they are, we, we'd pick up something. Would it really matter? We talk of their oldest civilization, and what have they given us? Nothing we couldn't have had all along. Prayers were given us long before wireless. Good evening, Mr. Cronin. Who are you? How'd you get in here? My credentials. The hydrogen valve. Uh -huh. The original specifications. Where did you get these? I drew them. Calder. Franz Calder. Where have you come from? This afternoon you parked your station wagon in front of the post office. Didn't look in the back when you drove home. Neither did the guards that surround your place. <laughs> this, this is the most stupendous joke I've ever heard. We thought you were in Russia, and here you were in this country all the time. Only since yesterday, Mr. Cronin. It wasn't exactly a triumphant entry. Mr. Cronin, did you ever have to crawl through the mud beneath a barbed wire fence? Hide like a hunted animal to avoid the border inspectors? In heaven's name, why? Why? I developed a dislike of jails. Jail? Are you out of your mind, man? Have you heard nothing of what's happened in the world? In spite of your record, there'd have been an open door for the inventor of the hydrogen valve. Which you stole. Well, don't talk nonsense. Your specifications became government property. Anyone had a right to use them. That's a matter of opinion. Don't worry, Mr. Calder. Chris has given you credit for everything that belongs to you. Every scientific journal has given you full credit. If you'll forgive me where I've been, the latest scientific journals were not at hand. I lived in a hut at 11,000 feet in the Andes. An avalanche finished it. But I dug myself out. Nine days ago. Well, I'm glad you got out anyway. 
Uh, we're just about to broadcast. You might be interested in... You're seeing... right. It will amuse me. All set, Lynn? Yes. get a chance to carry on your work yourself. In a small way, I did. You built a transmitter? Naturally. And then you might have picked up Mars. I tried. I never succeeded. All right, Lynn, shut it off. But with your knowledge and the valve, you should have succeeded. Unless, of course, atmospherics play tricks at that altitude. On some people, Mr. Cronin. You won't mind if I take my coat off, huh? Yes, sir. Uh, and some people. What do you mean by that? Of course, I only got out with what I had in my pockets, but I think uh, this will interest you. There are messages and the replies, all of them. The ones that weren't decoded, too. Then you did pick up Mars? No. How else could you get these? When did you hear from Mars last? Nine days ago, wasn't it? A little after eight o'clock. Now, you figure the difference in time. And you'll find it was about half an hour before my set was smashed. I don't believe it. How slow you were in thinking up that pie formula. <laughs> and the creation of a vocabulary. Aren't you grateful that I made it so easy for you? <laughs> <laughs> ah. Here you were, the whole mobilized science of the world behind you. And there was I, alone, giving you answers. You sent the messages. The whole thing was a fraud. That credit I will share with you. Why? What were you after? Shall we say, uh, amusement? You thought you'd created a new Earth. And I destroy it. A new heaven. And that I shall destroy. Once my story is told. You can't do it! You can see the possibilities for entertainment, huh? Listen to me, Mr. Calder. I've two children over there in that house. And I'm just one of millions. Millions of women that for the first time know their children are secure. You can't destroy that! Paradise lost, Mrs. Cronin. Paradise lost. That's my present to the world. He's lying, Linda. Those messages were from Mars. They came from outside the atmosphere. You take me for an amateur, huh? I shot my signals up to hit the heavy side layer. They deflected down at any angle. Naturally, they seem to come from outside the atmosphere. No. Once I detected your signals, the rest was easy. I could accomplish much more making you believe I was Mars than ever getting Mars myself. Chris. What is it? He did not send the religious messages. Of course I didn't. You know that. What do you mean? Here are his messages, the very first few as we received them. But when we asked how they've kept themselves from blowing each other to bits, his answer was, one tribe must hold the power. It had nothing to do with the Sermon on the Mount. It was the prophet talking to us. The prophet. Clever of you to create him. You played right into my hands. 
I smashed your economic system with a power panic. But that still left my friends in Moscow. I had to smash them too. From my hut, I could see the statue of Christ. I never thought of using him against them. Thank you for that idea. They must have been desperate. Carey, Sparks, all of them. They must have done this in Washington. Darling, you were there. You spoke with Sparks and the president. Did you think they were play-acting? I don't know, I don't know. Ah, who did it was immaterial. When I saw the effect on Moscow, I knew you'd created my weapon for me. That's why I let you raise the world up with all that muck right up to the sky so I can dash it down to hell when I tell my story. <laughs> you can't do it, Calder. Who's to stop me? God? He had his chance nine days ago. If I hadn't dug myself out, you'd have gotten away with your fraud. It was no fraud. You'd have won. <laughs> it was no fraud. You don't expect me to believe those messages were not faked. We expect you to believe the truth, just the way the rest of the world believes, just the way we believe. But here is my proof. There have been no messages since my transmitter was shattered. How will you explain that to the world, Mr. Cronin? <laughs> Mount. Peace on earth. No, Mrs. Cronin. You are not dealing with a superstitious peasant. If those first messages were fake, the last were too. The world will believe me, just as your husband believed me. And then you'll all be at each other's throats again. All of you. And I love Better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. My favorite poem, Mrs. Cronin. The unconquerable will and study of revenge, immortal hate and courage never to submit or yield. That's my God, Mrs. Cronin. Satan. Lucifer's my hero. God beat him. Chris secretly loosens one of the fittings on one of the hydrogen valves and fills the room with the explosive gas. Linda urges him to light a match, sacrificing themselves for the sake of world peace. Just as Chris takes out his lighter, a message from Mars comes in. Calder, feeling defeated, shoots the monitor screen, causing the lab to explode, killing all three. Days later, the president broadcasts the first words of the last message from Mars which was interrupted by the lab explosion. We do not know and never shall what caused the destruction of that laboratory in California. We only know that Chris and Linda Cronin are gone and that in our time there will be no more messages from Mars. For God in his infinite wisdom has decreed that the revelations which came through them, his servants, were sufficient to fulfill his purpose. At the very moment when they were snatched up in that chariot of fire into the bosom of truth everlasting, a final message was being received. Only the first few words of that message were recorded before the explosion cut it short. 
Those words were, ye have done well, my good, the rest is silence. Silence. No. No, for as I speak, the bells of a million churches in every far corner of the earth ring out in salutation to the earth's new day of hope. The voices of the joyful rise in a thousand hymns, hymns not of grief, but of thanksgiving. And mankind, kneeling in gratitude for its redemption, prays for the spirit of this man and this woman. Of them, as of no mortals before them, it may be said, the whole earth is their sepulcher. And so the message does not remain unfinished. The miracle we have beheld has cleansed our souls and wiped the scales from our eyes. With the new vision given us, we who are left can complete that message. Ye have done well, good and faithful servants. Enter ye into the joy of your Lord. Thy monument is a world of peace. And that's the end of the movie. Now it's time for some movie trivia. Red Planet Mars was also known as Miracle from Mars and Red Planet. Willis Boucher, who played the president in today's movie, and Morris Ankrum, who played Secretary Sparks in today's movie, would go on to have reoccurring roles as judges on The Perry Mason Show. Lewis Martin, who played the astronomer in today's movie, and Walter Sands, who played uh, Admiral Carey in today's movie, would work together the following year in the classic War of the Worlds. Martin was the preacher who was vaporized by one of the Martian war machines, and Sand was the sheriff of the town where the Martian machines landed. The Statue of the Christ is Christ the Redeemer of the Andes. It is located high in the Andes on the border between Argentina and Chile. The statue was dedicated on March 13, 1904, to celebrate the peaceful resolution of a border dispute between the two countries. This movie foresaw the flat panel TV at least 40 years before they were commercially available. Marvin Miller. He played Argerian in today's movie. He would use his voice for a classic science fiction character of the 1950s. He was the voice of Robbie the Robot in Forbidden Planet. And that's all I have for movie trivia. Now it's time for the Star Trek Connection. Everybody knows I'm a big Star Trek fan, and I try to find a Star Trek connection in every movie I watch. I'm afraid to say I could find no Star Trek connection in today's movie. So let's get into my comments about today's movie. I watched the 2006 DVD release from Cheesy Flicks Entertainment. This DVD came with no bonus features, not even a theatrical trailer. Nothing. The picture and sound quality are fair at best. Red Planet Mars is not your typical 1950s science fiction movie. There are no aliens, no flying saucers, no monsters, none of the good stuff. It's a thinking man science fiction movie. It combines politics, religion, and science. 
it has an interesting story about two scientists who try to contact Mars and discover that God is on Mars. I think everybody did a great job on the cast. Uh, Peter Graves and Andrea King, they were great as husband and wife. Their relationship reminded me a lot of Dr. McCoy and Mr. Spock's relationship. One was totally logical and the other one was very emotional. They worked well together in this movie together. Herbert Berghoff was great as the villain. He was totally believable in the role as an escaped Nazi scientist. Walter Sand, Willis Boucher, Morris Ankrum, they played their usual authority figures in these type of movies. I even liked Marvin Miller's stereotypical 1950s Russian official. even had the accent down and everything. Um, there's very little special effects in this movie. This movie is dialogue heavy. You could probably tell from the clips I use. But like I said before, this is a thinking man science fiction movie. My favorite scene of the movie is when Linda Cronin is the only voice in the room saying, maybe we shouldn't contact an advanced race of aliens. It usually doesn't turn out well for the lesser of the two civilizations, as we would later see in War of the Worlds. I really enjoyed this movie. It's not the best movie in the world, but it is a good movie. I know some of you out there may be turned off by the religious aspects of the movie, but give it a chance. Like I said, it's a good movie. I would recommend this movie to all science fiction fans. On a scale from 1 to 10, eh, I'll give it a solid 6. And those are my comments about Red Planet Mars. That's it for today's podcast. Before I wrap up today's podcast, I want to thank Rico again for giving me another opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoyed it. Rico will be back on the podcast next week. I'll be back soon with another classic science fiction movie. Until then, this is M5, signing off.